This is Coda Radio, episode 84 for January 13th, 2014. You're listening to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our three fine sponsors, GoDaddy, Ting, and DigitalOcean. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this fantastic show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host, on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. What up, What up? Yo, yo, uh, what's up, homie? How you doing on the East Coast? Yeah, we're doing this East Coast thing, you know what I'm saying? Listen, though, Chris. That's uh, about all the I street I got. I, I got to warn you. <laughs> I, I have some news for you. Oh, what is it? Lay it on me. In keeping with my governor, I'm going to have to close a few bridges. <laughs> well, that was going to be my pre-show conversational topic. I forgot all about that. Oh, man. Yeah, no, you, you're, you, you're you guys pretty- are making news this week. That's for sure. I kind of guy because that's a disproportionate response. I got to warn you, uh, we do have some uh, late-breaking uh, news. Uh, that's right. It just came into the Coda Radio Studios. There is drama in politics. Mm. We'll stay on this story for you as it develops. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, uh, we got a good show today because, uh, so, uh, we're in full disclosure, the beginning of a year, really the whole holiday range, a lot of people take time off. Not a lot of things are being created. Not a lot of news is being broken other than things like CES, which maybe we could talk about in a little bit. But um, there is a lot of really good feedback from our community this week. We have a ton of great emails, and we've got a live mumble room that's joined us. They'll come in later on in the show and uh, bounce a few few things around with us. So, Mr. Dominic, as is tradition, 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 prediction, hmm. Road to Perdition, great movie with Tom Hanks. Before we get into the feedback, just a really super, super brief, like, one-minute coffee update. Uh, mm, so yes. I've gotten I've gotten the full setup now. I've got kind of a janky, just one-speed grinder. Uh, I got the AeroPress rocking, and I, I picked up uh, just, like, some the highest-rated beans I could find on Amazon because I just wanted to experiment, right? I'm in an experimental phase right now in my life, and I just wanted to try out everything in the chain, before I really committed to a coffee itself. And I got to say, it's been going really well. Smoothest cup of coffee. I, I didn't even know coffee could taste this good. I'm not so sure if it's... I don't feel like it's really hitting me in the face with caffeine, though. And that's probably the the uh, coffee bean that I chose. Or I don't know, maybe if the AeroPress method doesn't extract as much caffeine. But I don't feel like I'm getting that overdose. Almost it's actually just the right amount, I'd say. So I'm I'm pretty happy. I know you just made some coffee changes. Yes. Um, so I, I've actually been ordering coffee locally now rather than through Wegmans. Uh, there's a coffee roaster by me in a town called Ocean Grove called the Barbaric Bean. That is awesome. They have a number of different plans. We don't need to go into it too much. Uh, unfortunately, they don't have a good software team <laughs> and their e-commerce is down. Oh, no. Uh Oh, what are you going to do? Well, it's one of those things where they have a personal relationship with the guy who did it. So. No, I mean, are you just going to have to go there in person? or I didn't mean like- You have to email them the order oh and send God. them a check. Yeah, it's a little bad. I tried to tell the guy that um, this is terrible. Yeah. Well, you know what was really awesome is we got a couple of emails from folks in the community who wanted to send us coffee. Uh, yes. From like all Puerto Rico, Guatemala, uh, all over the world. People are all over the world want to send us coffee beans, which is so if you got any, if you send us an email offering and you haven't heard back from us, um, you probably will at some point. <laughs> oh, definitely will. Yeah, it was really awesome, and like, there's a lot of people that are into coffee. Uh, uh, what did you say on Twitter last night? You are a connector between caffeine and Objective C. <laughs> yes, I'm the coffee connection for fingertip. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, no, I'm a converter between right. from caffeine to Objective C. Yep. Very true, and I, it kind of makes you the middleman. All right, Mr. Dominic. That's right. Well, uh, Bart wrote in with a very uh, poignant question, of course, because this is the quarter radio program, and that's the only thing people write in with. Uh, it's about C-sharp.net. He says, hey, guys, I've written before, uh, and I'm the Python economist data web app guy, and I appreciated your jack-of-all-trades discussion. 
Oh, yeah, I remember that. He says, uh, I work in the D.C. area as a government consultant. Never would have guessed that one. At a big con- at a big consulting firm. No, it's not Booz Allen Hamilton. And believe me, D.C. is a very Microsoft-heavy town. Most of the government agencies won't accept any development idea that doesn't have Microsoft's stamp of approval written all over it. In any other situation, I would never choose to write C-sharp or .NET, but... When you have to bin deploy on an IIS server and, all, and the only meaning of Apache is a Native American tribe, .NET is really the only way to go. For example, when I've tried to deploy a client Python apps on their IIS server and tell the client that you need to install this third-party module in order to get things to work, they dismiss your concept immediately. So in the end, .NET and C Sharp is very attractive for developers in the D.C. area because the government has forced all agencies' hands. Just that I contribute to the discussion because no one was talking about .NET use cases. Thanks for the great show, Bart. Yeah, you know, that is really... I, I, I think some of that comes from uh, the sysadmins. I think what happens is um, over-controlling sysadmins, because I've Damn been it. there... You ruined it, Chris. I had a whole rant about lazy sysadmins. Really? I'm being honest. Well, go, go, because I think you're right. I mean, I think that's... So, in my experience, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, uh, sysadmins are a pain in the dick. <laughs> oh, dang it! I mean, it, you know, they always complain, oh, the, the dev wants access to this. That's never the case anymore, unless the dev is, like, a college kid. The the issue is always the sysadmins, like, well, VB's worked for 20 years, so fuck you. Uh, this is not a safe-for-work episode. Inappropriate? Yes. And the the problem is... Sysadmins all think they're good programmers, <laughs> and there might be one exception named Alan Jude. With with that exception, they all suck. I mean, they're all really shitty programmers, because what they call programming is really just scripting. And there is a difference between writing a script to do whatever kind of weird processing you're doing and writing and architecting an actual software project. Yeah, and I can tell you exactly, like, in the case of this one here, where. You have to install a third-party module to IIS to get Python work. The guys, the sysadmins have have had a had an experience where you know a Microsoft update broke some yep. sort of third-party module in IIS, and it happened enough time on enough production servers that maybe five years ago they they made a rule that said never again. We will never cross this line again. Oh, well, the all... Microsoft ones are the worst because at least the Unix guys will be like, oh, well, I guess I could throw something together and bash, or maybe if they're really progressive, right. Python. Well, the, the Microsoft, the Microsoft guys are like, much more in the box, especially if you yeah. want stability. Or is there there a utility I can download for this? Like, <laughs> oh Jesus! I mean, at, le- at least some of the more progressive um, Microsoft sysadmins are starting to get into PowerShell. But I, I I've only met one so far, and and he's kind of the black sheep. There's no disadvantage to the sysadmin because it's sort of it, it, it's almost a form of lock in to the sysadmin, and it ensures that he has a job. Sticking nobody loses their job for recommending Microsoft on right. maybe an HP solution. Like it's this whole stack that you get to put a stamp of approval on from top to top and from top to bottom and say, well, look, each vendor along the way, this is their recommended stack. And if you don't deviate from that, it's also a great way to defer all guilt if something breaks. Well, look, we well, followed the recommended spec. Not, not, not only fault. that, it's but, a- you know, putting, putting my lazy person hat on, if I was a sysadmin, my rule would always be status quo, right? Status quo. Because if it didn't crash today, probably won't crash tomorrow if we don't change anything. Right. And, you know, let's be honest, no one really taught in a lot of organizations. I know this won't be universally true. No one even talks to the IT people, the sysadmins, until something goes wrong. Yeah, they don't exist until it's broken. The problem for us devs is that's not how we're evaluated. We're evaluated by how much did you change this quarter. And if the sysadmin is always breaking your ass about, well, what do you mean you want to go to .NET 4.0? I mean, 2.0 has been pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's like, (laughs) dude, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Put down the hater aid. Wow. Boy, I mean, I'm just being honest. As a sysadmin, I've been there. I don't want it. I want as little change as possible. And every time the developers would ask for more admin rights or more access to something, I would be on high alert. So, that kind of thing you should be on high alert for. And I and I agree with that. But the the attitude that I've seen with some, and, and I'll be honest, some let's just say clock punching sysadmins, is that every time I stop you from doing something, it means I don't have to work late. Yeah. And, oh, well, if, you know, you have to account for the delay in the project. Right. And, you know, there's also been the situation where the developer pushes you to update something like maybe it's PHP, maybe it's .NET. And then that breaks other things. And, oh, now I have a whole evening of having to fix all these damn things because he couldn't just make it work with .NET well, 2.0 or whatever. Of a, it's kind of a snowball effect of crap, right? Yeah. 
once you make that first compromise, that seems reasonable. Oh, well, you know, we have this script that works, you know, eh, let's not update. You know, that might be cool for a month or two. Uh, several years on, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. And uh, let, me, let me just, can I give you a little war story? Mm-hmm, yeah. I once worked for a sysadmin who didn't believe in using dev and staging servers. Okay. Because, <laughs> okay, I would have to account for the spend of two other servers. I can almost hear that. Yeah, I can see that. So, so oh, and another part of his issue was they had no automated deployment of any kind. Oh. So he would have had to spend a day per server manually configuring it. Like there was not even like a ghetto image that he could just, you know, spin up. Jeez, that's like, that's... Oof. To be clear, we're talking about AWS servers. Okay, okay. Yeah. This is the... God damn it. <laughs> that was a nightmare because then it's, oh, well, can't you just push to production? I don't want to. You know, not really. We shouldn't because no one's tested it. Yeah. I mean, we've tested it on a local host, but that's like the eighth deadly sin, right? Yeah, that's... that's Works not, on my machine. Yeah. yeah. I, I, <laughs> All I wanted was a tiny EC2 instance for dev. Yeah. I ended up hosting it myself because I, I just couldn't deal with it. Yeah, that's really frustrating, and it, it slows down the process. Well, the problem is, again, the sysadmins and poorly managed organizations are graded by two things. Did you keep the cost down? Mm-hmm. Did you keep the servers up? Right. I would have, and this is a developer bias, I would have them graded by how much developer time did you save us? Wouldn't it be interesting if you if that was one of the elements? Maybe also like how current and patched are the systems? Like how secure is the network? How 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 much are you pushing that agenda forward on a daily basis? Those are some of the metrics that I'd like to see sysadmins um, uh, measured by more. Like you know we have right now. There's this huge, massive 110 million target customer data breach. Now it's looking like malware. According to Krebs on security, malware was actually installed on the individual uh, point of sale machines. And then there was obviously some other stuff going on. It might be beyond target. And all of this probably comes down to bad system administration. Potentially. There could be well, a, a role in there. And it's yeah, like, and, those are things that also need to be benchmarked. That's a problem with the managers of the sysadmin, right? Because as long as the server's up, he must be doing a good job. He might be playing Pong. Right. In fact, it, right. It's, it's, almost su- it's almost a suicidal, like, as long as that server's been running and the more money we're getting out of it, i.e. the longer we use it for the better he's doing his job. And what that always means right. is the longer we're, we're pushing older hardware, pushing older software versions, the better he's doing. And that's just crazy. Yeah, it's, it's really a, you know, and I would say the other problem is, you know, I always rent to get the H1 visa, visa stuff, but I don't know, man, like most organizations I work with don't really have large IT departments anymore. Mm-hmm. Like the sysadmins have kind of gotten the shaft. Um, you know, there's a lot of outsourcing that, right? Mm-hmm. And again, you know, I, I think for organizations that aren't IT based, aren't tech based, it's really easy to see IT as a pure cost center, which is what it is, until your e-commerce site goes down. Mm, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Or your email, right? Or well, if your email goes down, you deserve it. I'm sorry, <laughs> people flip, freak out. All right, we should move on. All right, next email comes in from uh, Monsieur Jason, and he wrote into the show. He says, hey, guys, just catching up uh, and listening to Coda Radio 82, and around here, the software craftsmen guys are against any certification for developers. In fact, the goal is to boost the overall quality of all software to prevent some government authority from stepping in and requiring certifications. Anyways, love the show, Jason. This is kind of what I had heard, too, is that it was going to be like a self-policed industry thing, so that way there wouldn't have to be regulations passed. What have you heard about this? I've heard so I I've heard the thing about keeping the government out, but I still I mean here I still hear about potential industry certifications, right? Yeah. yeah. Where I mean, to me, it doesn't matter. One or the other. Well, it doesn't matter if the government's if you need the certification to work or it becomes harder to work without it. To me, that's a bad thing. Um, That's giving up one of the advantages of the software industry. Yeah. Now I. You know, I, I feel a little mixed about this because on the one hand, you know, somebody who, you know, there is a place for it, right? For these Java certifications, these .NET certifications. Maybe for military level applications. 
Well, I think when you're building something that kills people, yes, I, yeah. I, I, I'm okay like with Like I you. worked with a client who had to go through a, a pretty lengthy business certification process in order to get a contract to build uh, inverters for the machines that were driving around in Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, they had to implement drug testing policies at this client. They had to implement uh, new certification processes for some of the builders. Right. So, it, 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 you know, in some, in some scenarios already today, we already are seeing that. And I actually don't think any of those requirements actually apply to any of the developers who are making the controller software. But like the builders, the guys assembling it all had to go through a certification process. So I guess what, what, there's two issues at hand, right? Certainly, I think it's appropriate. You know, let's just use the Army, for example, right? Let's say you're... <laughs> In fact, they are programming their drones in .NET, aren't they? Oh, was, was oh, a, oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they there, are. there was a story about that where there yeah. was a bug. Yeah, nice job, assholes. Uh, you know, and they wanted you to be a certified MC, <laughs> whatever the hell. I, I only know what the Oracle ones are called. I don't know what the Microsoft ones are. I'm okay with that, I get, but I'm not okay with, you know, you needing to have that certification to do somebody's ASP.NET site. Mm. Uh, yeah. The problem is, and I think the problem the craftsmanship people are, are getting to, is that whenever the government does something, they don't do half measures. It, it would be like architects all must be bonded and certified. Um, having said that, I don't know, man. The craftsman guy, I mean, their self-policing is pretty rough. I mean, some of them won't hire engineers who haven't, you know, done the Oracle certification. What is their method to enforce that, though? We simply don't hire the person. Oh, okay. So yeah, you have, right. it's up to the employer to right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of developers. My experience, the ability to pass a written test, there's not really a correlation there. Um, because a lot, I don't know. I, I think this is going to be the issue for 2014, though. What I mean, that Scott Hanselman post. Um, Developer versus engineer versus uh, computer scientist mm -hmm. resurfaced again in our subreddit. Mm -hmm. And I think this is going to be one of the defining issues of 2014 is, you know, these jobs aren't really the same job anymore. Hmm. And certainly the skill set for what I would consider a software developer has a lot more to do with a little bit of business acumen, a little bit of interpersonal skills, mm -hmm. and a lot less of math, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however, when you're designing something Google scale, certainly it's okay if you can't talk to the secretary, but you can do calculus in your head. Right. Um, maybe the reality to me, and then more and more I'm starting to feel that, that these are just simply three different jobs. These are three different people. I could see that. Um, and one of them has very high requirements and standards and certifications. And if you, well, I think they if all have get into it. Yeah, I think they all have extremely high requirements, right? Yeah. The, the difference is, you know, in my mind, the developer requirements focus a lot more on more traditional soft skills, interpersonal skills, in addition to the tech stuff. Um, and the other two are very, I mean, one's purely academic, right? So the academic's kind of different. But the, the software engineer label, less on the soft skills, less on the business side, more on the algorithmic side. Maybe. I mean, again, if we start drawing these distinctions, it, it can get really messy really fast. And and to be honest... And limited. You yeah, you... A good, a large enough organization that's going to be effective needs a little bit of both, right? Yeah. You need the Ruby hipster who can step on stage and charm the hell out of everybody there. <laughs> wow. You need the guy like me who can make everyone fantastic coffee <laughs> and then go play some Hearthstone, which I, by the way, thank you to the person who sent me that beta in October. I didn't see it till just now. But thank you. Oh. I got a little present from our friends in California. Nice. Um, you know, what was it? It takes all kinds, different strokes. Very true, Mr. Dominic. Yeah, I, 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 guess I, I guess I just don't think it's important anymore. All right. Well, uh, I want to uh, I want to thank uh, DigitalOcean before we go too much further here. And uh, I want to start with uh, an email we got from Michael O. So uh, DigitalOcean, you're probably familiar with them because they've been a sponsor here for a little bit on the Quota Radio program. But I know some of you are still new to DigitalOcean. It's simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. You can get a cloud server going in 55 seconds, and price, pricing plans start only $5 per month to get 512 megs of RAM, a 20 gig SSD, one CPU, a terabyte of transfer. And by the way, DigitalOcean has data centers in New York, San Francisco, and Amsterdam. You can get a $10 credit by using the promo code CODA Radio January. 
when you check out. New promo code, Coda Radio January. Michael O. wrote it and he said, I first heard of DigitalOcean on Coda Radio. While I might not be the target audience of what DigitalOcean is for some people, I have found two great private uses for it. First, I set up a SVN server for myself and on one of the, on one of the droplets. I can now access my SVN server from anywhere instead of having to be at home. Uh, he says it appears my ISP blocks those ports coming in. Since uh, my use is well under the 20 gigs of the smallest on my main data center folder on my main computer is under 2 gigabytes, my main data folder on my main computer is under 2 gigabytes, a nice R-Sync backup makes it a great solution for offsite backups also. And this is the one that paid off over the Christmas break as I was out of town, and due to some stupidity on my side, I deleted all of my user files on my laptop. One hour later, 2 gigabytes over the mobile network, and I'm back up and running on my laptop. <laughs> Oh, wow. I wish to thank you for advertising them as the access to having all these servers has been a great help to me. He says, I also hope to play around with Tomcat in the future. It's a great value for $5 a month. So go see what Michael's been talking about. Go over to digitalocean.com. Use the promo code Coder Radio January. You'll get that $10 credit. And then you can try it out for two months if you get the $5 unit. <clears throat> Not a bad deal. Listeners of Coder Radio will enjoy all of the features that DigitalOcean offers from the flexible API private networking, image backups, SSD drive speeds, droplets for deploying a system that you want to create and save a droplet for, or a system like Ubuntu 12.04 with the entire LAMP stack, or Docker on 13.10, ready to go. All of those kinds of things are available on DigitalOcean. And by the way, DigitalOcean offers a vast collection of tutorials in their community section, and users can submit an article to the community. If it gets picked, you'll get a $50, I think it's a credit, from DigitalOcean. Uh, if they publish that. There's lots of good uh, resources in there. We've pointed you to a few of them. They have a really great helping community section where uh, you can get everything from the basics of Nginx, Ruby on Rails, uh, setting up and man- managing an Ubuntu server, installing PHP, doing anything you might need to do there. It's all available. And if you get published over there, you'll get that $50 bones. So not too bad. Use co- pro, uh, Coder Radio January, brand new promo code when you check out over at digitalocean.com and get that $10 credit. And by the way, DigitalOcean is almost at a million cloud servers launched. They got a special deal going on for that. You can go check that out over there. I'll tell you more about that uh, next week. But uh, go over to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Radio January to check out, get that $10 credit. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. And uh, I'm glad Michael O is enjoying his DigitalOcean service. Nice that he was able to restore all his data. That's a score. Good use. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, you know, I hadn't thought about using a DO <clears throat> server for source code hosting, but that's not a bad idea. Not uh, a bad way to go. All right, well, we got uh, we got another mic. Wow, we got we're hearing from Michaels and Mikes today. We are legion. <laughs> uh, he says he needs to replace an in-house tool. He's not sure which one. He says I uh, loves the excellent show. He looks forward to his morning drive every Tuesday thanks to Coda Radio. He's hoping to seek our sagely advice regarding a project that he's about to start. He currently works for a company that develops software for various media platforms as well as a few apps on their own. I'm currently working in software quality in regards to the previous episodes. Test automation is a godsend. <clears throat> Having said that. Not all of our work can be tested using automated tests. M- much of what requires, much of it requires eyes-on approach due to the fact that we deal with audio and video quality. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We currently have a web page app that uses internally, uh, but it's just to log test results, um, but it's in dire need of revamping. It was developed using PHP, but I feel another language might provide a better, more room for improvement. Uh, I'd, like to, I'd like some flexibility as far as what I want as far as what I'm able to implement in the future. But as of right now, logging results in a database and displaying content dynamically is all that is needed. I was just curious about what recommendations you might have. Thanks for the great show every single week. Mike, so what do you think for an internal tool, bug tracking, web-based app? You know, whatever... I hate this answer, but whatever you guys are most comfortable with and seems most appropriate for the job, given the full spec... Um, someone please don't sound clip that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I to be honest, I'd probably do this in Java. Um, yeah. But I don't see anything particularly limiting about what you're doing. Um, you said you did PHP, so you're probably not a .NET guy. Um, I mean, Ruby would be able to do it fine if you wanted to dip into Ruby. But same for Python. <clears throat> you know, I, I feel I, I I often feel bad about having to give this answer, but Unless there's something you left out of this that's terribly It almost feels specific. like people are writing as a blank book. 
right? Like they've right. never, but we know that's not the case. So it does seem like the best thing would be gets, if you really would just want to get it done and working right and be able to maintain it long term, you got to well, you got to work with what you know. Right. And what I might add is, you know, if you have total control, is there an advantage to learning either of these techs for your team for overall, right? So maybe I could phrase that a little better. Are there other problems that you think, for instance, going to Ruby might solve in other projects that getting your team a little bit of experience rewriting this project in Ruby would help with? And that would go for any language, right? Ruby, whatever, Java. But really, other than that, you know, all of the options that I would recommend to anybody are fairly mature. So there's not a huge downside in any of them. Okay. I mean, that's straightforward. I mean, unless you want to be a cool kid and use Node.js, but, you know, that would be wrong. Yeah. All right. Um, so we have a few uh, we have a few more emails to get to before we get to our mumble room. Uh, Bernard wrote in, and I'm not – is this C++ to 11? I mean, what is what, C++ 11? What is this? Is- it's the new language specification, yeah. So uh, I can actually just kind of summarize this. Uh, he, he Bernard, thanks for writing in. He writes in asking us kind of – What's the deal with C++ 11, right? Um, to be honest, C++ is fairly conservative. I mean, it's backwards compatible. Uh, obviously, if I was starting a new C++ project, I'd prefer to go with the newest standard, so 11. But, you know, there's there's nothing... One of the advantages is it's so compatible <laughs> that it's a non-issue. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there are, sure, there are things that don't work backwards. There's a lot of syntax sugar. Um, I believe they have a few new keywords, things like that, which is great. And, you know, a lot of folks on the Microsoft side who are doing RT apps, um, which I have a comment about, by the way, are definitely re- rediscovering C++. And I think with Qt, folks are rediscovering C++. Awesome. I would certainly say that use the newest standard. Um, one thing I'd say, though, C++ isn't like it's pretty pretty conservative. So when we say the new hotness in C plus plus, it's it's pretty stable, right? Yeah. I mean, the new features are awesome. Like you mentioned in your email, <laughs> it's just there's new features it's are so awesome. it's so mature that there's really not a lot to yeah to pick at. I got you. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Chris, uh, Windows nine. Uh wow. Threshold? You mean? You mean threshold? <coughs> well, you know how we fix a bad product. Um, give it a new name. We, we we repaint the label, and we just get a, a sharpie, Chris, and we write a new number. <laughs> uh, so uh, Jordan wrote in. He wants to he wants to give us some feedback on Windows, and uh, we got a couple. We got two uh, that I saw, and the inbox was a little crazy this week. Thank you, everybody. Uh, he says you asked for defensive Windows. Well, I'm not really one to defend Microsoft. I actually hate the direction and what has become of Windows OS. But I also think there is a huge opportunity for the Windows Server space for Windows 8 that Microsoft has not taken advantage of yet. Uh, no one can deny that Active Directory is fantastic. If Microsoft ever did anything right, it was developing Active Directory. At work, I, main t- I maintain quite a few servers, mostly Windows, and definitely not enough Linux. As of right now, we uh, we use a third-party web application for the server monitoring. And if any, and if we're away from our desk or at another desk without access to our computers or credentials, we can quickly become useless, not having the necessary tools readily available. Remote software like VNC helps significantly, but that just means we're plant we're planted behind and uh, behind another desk even more. And yes, that's not always a bad thing. Like right now, for instance, Surface could become an extension of the server and allow for easy access to files, applications, resources, administration tools. But I don't see anything of the sort coming out of Microsoft. With Win 8 taking advantage of Server 2012's file system, ReFS, Microsoft could easily push Win 8 as a server monitoring application development user administration tool rather than an overpriced consumer device that no one is buying. I believe many more people in my position could see the benefits of the Surface if Microsoft focused their vision. Windows 8, especially paired with Azure, could be big in the enterprise, yet they continue to push Windows 8 as a consumer OS. Ah... That's interesting. I, you know, I think that that focus thing is people have always said that about Microsoft uh, for years now, and that's been that's been a huge problem that they've had. Um, and I think too, the problem is Microsoft AD is very uh, AD is very good. Active Directory can be very good. It just can also be very overkill for anybody who's smaller than a couple of hundred employees. And so, 
there needs there there really could be something in the sweet spot that would really address that. Now maybe Microsoft maybe Microsoft could do something like you're saying, and maybe the way of having directory servers and domain controllers goes away, and everybody just has a really fast internet connection with some sort of login system to a hosted Azure system, and then you know it's maybe maybe in your scenario that would work. But the problem is, I think what Microsoft's really up against is. The desktop requirement to have Windows over the next five years is going to start really evaporating faster and faster. There's a lot of proprietary applications that only these companies have, but with the expiration of XP and then the eventual expiration of Windows 7 way down the road, uh, these people, a lot of cases, will replace them with web applications. And then once you start talking web applications, you really pretty much stop talking Windows. I don't know. It's not a great defense, I know. We're supposed to be, po- we're supposed to be pro-Windows there. Yeah, I mean, I also think there's a conceptual um, issue that the writer is forgetting. It, it's pretty clear that Microsoft doesn't want to be that server enterprise company. They're happy making all their money there, but it seems like the direction they're going is they want to be a consumer company, a consumer brand. So good luck with that. Hmm. Which actually, I mean, all kidding aside, makes a whole lot of sense because if you don't already have an infrastructure in place, it's pretty hard to beat some kind of OpenStack Linux-based system at this point just because they're so cheap um, in terms of there's no licensing costs. You know, I think Chris has mentioned several times about the licensing per core of SQL Server, how ridiculously expensive that gets. Mm-hmm. It's just I, they're facing a losing battle in both places. Margins and, and yeah. yeah, less and less requirements to, yeah. And the other thing is they are a big company with a very strong, from what I kind of hear through the grapevine, management focus, right? Where, you know, there's a lot of jockeying between different layers of middle management at Microsoft. So it's, it's, you're not going to get a guy in there who can, or a gal in there who can just, I, you know, I'm the new CEO. This is what we're doing. It's, it's going to take a long time to turn that ship. I am really surprised there has not been an awesome alternative to Active Directory over the years. I guess it would just require too many different vendors to work together. But you know, when you, you know, when you're a big enterprise and you have a lot of users, it just you need some sort of single sign-on system. Oh yeah, and that's. I mean, anyone who's saying that Microsoft is going to sink is crazy. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, yeah. IBM is still around, and IBM is still fairly profitable. Now they got there by laying off a bunch of people. Um. You know, it, it's. The enterprise is still going to be a good market for Microsoft. It's just getting into newer, smaller companies is, you know, I'll be honest, they're pretty cost prohibitive. Um, that's unfortunate. The only thing they really have going for them from a, a small company's perspective is really Azure. But, uh, all right. So uh, we have one more in uh, in defense from Ed, he says, uh, you asked for a Microsoft plug. I'm a big supporter of your shows, and I enjoy tinkering with Linux and the Raspberry Pis, but I think Windows is still the only productive working tool for actually getting work done. I'm a civil structural engineer, and there are not software packages for Linux, BSD, or Macs that can do the following tasks. CAD, structural design, civil design, mechanical design, commercial, industrial, architectural design, electrical design, survey packages, and Microsoft Office is superior to all other Office packages out there. If you try... The other Office packages, they don't have the they don't have the speed and stability of Microsoft Office, particularly with large spreadsheets. I know enterprise, I know engineers like me are a minority, but that's still I'm all I'm ever around. And Linux or Mac are not ever an option in the community as workstations. Yeah, makes a lot of sense, right? Um, I mean, on the Mac, you know, on the other side, video production, you really can't beat Mac. I, I think Chris has felt that several times. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, anyone who's claiming that Windows and Microsoft are going to die is silly. Um, my assertion is that they're not going to be the consumer company they want to be, at least not yet. Yeah, I think, too, it's it's sort of like uh, uh, where he says, you know, I'm, I know I'm in the minority. Well, so are video editors on the Mac, right? They're in right. the minority. Um, just like uh, people who, well, I don't know, actually. You know, I look at the Linux user base, and I bet the majority of those people are people who are in jobs that are very much getting work done. So it just depends on the tools you require. Like for me, there are certain tools that 
like I don't even have a computer in this house that runs Windows, and I there's no there's no task in my job that requires Windows. In fact, I am much less effective on Windows. So you know, for me, it, I, it's it, I'm almost the reverse. So I can I can actually kind of understand where Ed's coming from because I have the opposite opinion, and it's I don't want a large office suite. I don't want all the Microsoft offices. I don't even I don't even like as much as Google Docs is anymore. It's I need ver- I have very minimum requirements in that regard. Right. Uh, and I don't have any CAD, but I do have video production that I need or something like that. You know, so it's it's I it, it, that's fine. It's the different tools. And I think it, what it, what I think why people are sort of pushing up against this and what we're seeing here is I think the media messages, especially with we're just all getting over the CES high and the I'm sorry, the high really. I know. Well, it was okay. kind of hey, all the best stuff. Literally, I think the best best things that were at CES I covered in last. And then if you don't watch anything else, just watch last because like there's like a dozen good things, and that's it out of like hundreds. <laughs> so, CES. Yeah, this was. I think this year was a little bit of a stinker. Not that interesting. And I'll tell you, but you know what the messaging is is uh, Windows is going away, PCs are dead, all blah 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 blah. And really, what we all really what we'll all discover is that all of these things are so entrenched that their usage will be in minorities, but they'll always be here. And so Ed will still have his his Windows machine. I'll still have a desktop machine that I can vi- edit video on. You know, it's yeah, it doesn't matter if everybody's buying tablets and and wearables. Do you have your wearable on right now, Mister Dominic? I have a a fossil watch that my fiance got me. Is that a wearable? Well, I guess I think I think we're just going to start calling anything that goes on your body a wearable. So, right. yeah. uh, well, I, I mean, well, then I have like a shirt. Yeah, that's and, a, it. Is, and yeah, this is a code radio first pants. Ooh, you one up me. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, before we go any further, I want to thank GoDaddy.com, longtime sponsors of the Coda Radio program. And they have got a great deal this week. You can get 30% off anything you want from GoDaddy if you use the new promo code 30DEAL2. Yeah, because first the worst, second's the best. So it's 30DEAL2 when you check out over at GoDaddy.com to take 30% off any new products in your shopping cart. Get a domain. Get that hosting, get that website going. I love to recommend GoDaddy for teams and small businesses because they have the tools to make collaboration work, literally, to make that work and it, it and keep it secure as well. They've thought through this process, and because they are the world's number one domain name registrar, they have so many customers that they've worked these processes out. Not only that, but they have an awesome hosting backend where if you want to throw up a new website, maybe throw WordPress on there, get your company's blog going, or maybe you want to host a store on there, GoDaddy has all of these tools available to you. Make that very straightforward so that way you can deploy what you want and then get right back to work. You're not going to spend weeks or months setting up the server, installing the packages, configuring this and that, and then getting things working, GoDaddy has some very streamlined process. Now, you can go full-on hosting and roll all that if you want to, of course. They've got great options for that at very competitive prices. And with our special promo code, 30DEAL2, 30DEAL2 when you check out, that'll get you 30% off anything that's in that shopping cart. That's a great deal. So go over to GoDaddy.com. It is go time! 30DEAL2, and a huge thank you to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coda Radio program for so long now. And I gotta tell you, when you just want to get up and, go, and get working and you want to know they're going to be there. And and if you also want something you can hand off to a client as a complete package and say, here you go, here's your hosting, here's your site, here's the login information to manage it, GoDaddy is the perfect solution for that. I can't tell you how many times I've come into a client and they weren't using GoDaddy and I just get the shivers all over because I know that's going to be a nightmare. It's going to take us forever to sort out. And whenever they have GoDaddy... Literally, I know it's go time. I know we're going to be ready to go. That's awesome. So a big thank you to GoDaddy30, deal two when you check out over at GoDaddy.com. You know, I, I almost was about ready to get a defensive Windows going. So uh, should I bring in our mumble room and see if anybody, we got we got three guys that are hanging out with us in mumble. We got a few more that are in quiet listening. Are their names Steve, uh, Bill? I don't see the Steve or Bill's. And Alan, although Alan, I hear Alan might have just dropped, actually. Oh. <laughs> so uh, anybody in the chat room wanted to defend Windows or is a, is a Windows user right now? Or, I mean, in the mumble room, uh, PC Wiz, Slips, uh, Lyle, is that how you say uh, it? Go ahead, Slips. I, don't, I just didn't like, necessarily agree how uh, Dominic said, uh, or Michael Dominic said, um, Windows is getting more consumer. I think they're, they've got a lot invested in the like workstation market and uh in the enterprise more than the server space more than the more than the server space yeah like 
it seems they're very organized around providing the the small office and like large deployment uh, environment for for a lot of offices. Hmm. Like their management for all of the uh, instances on workstations and stuff is very. I thought it was very large. Yeah, but actually, again, I, I, I think maybe yeah. I think there's a disconnect because I think what Mike is saying is like they're really good in that area, and that's right. What, I'm saying they do well on the. It, let's just group it all into like the corporate side, right? The business side. Mm-hmm. I'm saying uh, they. Okay. I'm saying they do poorly in the consumer side, but their recent reorg, um, their strategy for 2014 seems to be focused on the consumer side. Okay. Okay. Right. I so, okay. Here's a, here's a really crazy thing that I, I'm telling you, I'm not all in on this, but I just wanted to float it past you guys. Um, so one of the, one of the really big things back to CES that came out of CES was um, smart TVs like LG uh, announced a webOS powered TV. They said it'll be shipping on 70% of their TVs in 2014. No, I'm just sad. I miss webOS. I know. And they have like a whole card. They have they brought back like a, the, a, an homage to the card interface for switching between running apps on the TV. TV becomes an app. There's Netflix, there's Hulu, there's all those things, but there's also Twitter and Facebook and on and a web browser and all that kind of junk. Now, do you think potentially if you and I'm not trying to be mean, but if you look at what a lot of average quote unquote users use their computer for at home, it's browse the web, check Facebook and email. Um, maybe every now and then they print out a, a resume. I mean, I, it's very minimal stuff. Some of them really don't even go outside of Facebook on the web, right? And so, couldn't a TV? The first question is, couldn't a TV fill that role? And then the second question is, does that screw developers if all of a sudden all the devices people are getting their hands on are TVs that do do computing and, and tablets. I mean, is that a is that a dark future, Mr. Dominic? Uh, well, I don't agree that TVs can fill that role, but I definitely agree that tablets are filling that role. Well, what? So I don't think it. Uh, so it's like an augment to the tablet. It's 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 not quite web TV. It's it's like it's death by a thousand paper cuts. It's right. You have so your here's TV the thing that, with the TV, though, right? I mean, how many times have we heard from Microsoft? Several times, Canonical, at least once. Um, even rumors out of Apple that someone's going to make the TV the hub of your experience, right? And I, I just don't think people buy TVs like they buy tablets right. and phones. I'm thinking it's like the TV is one more way where you don't need the PC. It's not that it replaces the PC. It's just something that you used to do on the PC, you now do on the TV. Something you used to do on the PC, you now do on your phone, and, and now you do it on your tablet, now you do it on your console, but you're not doing it on the PC. So it's Maybe. I mean, I'd put it to the mumble room, because at least in my house, the TV is a very 1950s kind of thing, very community. Like we, The TV's only use is we all watch TV together, and that's kind of it. Um, what do you think, PC Wiz? Yeah, go for uh, it. TV, it's just a media consumption device. You don't want to do serious... Whatever on there. I'm not going to sit down and edit my CV on my TV. It's just too big. <laughs> Are you, wait, is that a humble brag? <laughs> That's a good humble brag. Uh, no, I, what I mean, I, okay, so I think I'm, I'm not selling this right. I don't think it's going to replace all functions of the PC. It's just one less thing you'll do on the PC you'll now do on the TV. I guess I can't think of anything that I could currently, so I'm replacing a lot of what I do on my laptop on the on an iPad, but... I can't think of anything I'd rather do on the television other than like gaming that I could do on the iPad. Anything productive. Yeah, maybe maybe reading Twitter. I would hate to do that on the TV, right? Yeah. 160 characters and yeah. 1080p. I mean. Okay, so these smart TVs so they're just they're bust, they're no good. I you know, I I think they're pretty broke. I mean, I had a project a couple of years ago that involved the one of the early Samsung smart TVs. You know, all it is is I mean, at the time all it was was really, really poorly jerry-rigged HTML, right? Um, and it's just not compelling. And, and it might just be me. I might be a little old-fashioned in how I use the TV. Uh, but I, to me, the TV is just a thing I look at to watch literally programs with family and friends. Yeah. I, I can't... Uh, it's a maybe, display. Right, and I play some Xbox. I, beyond that, I, I don't... I just, I just can't ever see myself like editing a contract... Or, I mean, maybe one day I'd hook up an Xbox One and have a Skype meeting mm-hmm. via the TV. But even then, that just seems kind of silly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. Uh, um, go ahead, Lil. Or how do you say your name? I was going to say, I, I use my TV as my PC. And yeah, I, I mean, I don't do business work because I don't work. But I don't have a job right now. But 
I can't go to anything less than 32 inches now. Wow. Okay. So my yeah, my biggest monitor, mo- a computer monitor that size, that's as cheap, cheap as a TV. Yeah, I like the yeah. large real estate too. Um, okay. Well, let's see okay. if we let's see if we can't help out a, a fellow Coda Radio audience member. He says, uh, guys, I was wondering if anybody has a similar experience. I'm currently a senior software engineer, and in order to move up. Uh, more in the company to an architect role, there's a lot of bureaucracy to break through because I have only worked on two teams in the company. My boss has no issue supporting getting me to this role. However, in order to get a wider audience to accept it, they are considering moving me to another team to lead a project there so there is a better justification for serving as an architect down the road. Has anyone had similar experiences and any other advice for taking on this challenge? So he's, what he's really asking is, I think what he's actually asking here is, should I leave my comfortable position where I'm safe right. and move to this new riskier spot where I'm going to have higher exposure and, and the stakes are a lot higher? And yeah, he's, yeah. Got the bureaucracy, he's got the bureaucracy where like, you kind of have to sh- maybe show your, 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 your merit before they'll, they'll promote you. So what do you think of this, Mr. Dominic? Is this a risky move? Do you think this is... So this is actually an area where I don't know too much about, right? Um, I haven't done the whole corporate thing for a long time. I would say that you know, I saw someone do something similar to this, but what they did was they took advantage of uh, basically me coming in and, you know, the old uh, jerk contractor meme, right? Yeah. The contractor gets to come in and tell everybody that they're stupid and no one can say anything. <laughs> uh, well, if you're, if you're smart and you don't have the social capital in your organization, you can actually leverage the contractor um, by basically becoming his parrot, which is what this guy did. mm Mm-hmm, uh, it, mm-hmm. that got him from junior to lead dev in less than six months all because then well what did management see well well john you know agreed with this guy that we paid x dollars and if we had just listened to john we wouldn't have had to pay x guy x dollars that's also a risky move right because you're not going to make too many friends um having said that I would ask yourself if there's so much bureaucracy in that company, but do you want to work there? That was going to be my question. And, yeah. I, and if it is a yes, then and then that's fine. I mean, there's there's not necessarily you can be okay with that if you're comfortable with it. And I think asking this kind of question to Chris and I is pretty bad because we both Don't very like actively rejected yeah. corporate life. Yeah. yeah, I would say you know, um, cerebral vortex. If you're if if the position you'd be moving to, if the person above you is well respected and well liked, then you know that could be a good spot for you to be in to move forward in that company. Um, and if you're bored and you you know if you picture yourself in that job for the next year, and you see yourself kicking yourself for not taking this opportunity, then you've got to do it. You got. Well, here's the other thing though: are you jump. bored with are you bored with your job or are you bored with the company? Right. Maybe the products that they make, etc. Right. Yeah. Can I say one yeah. more thing? I don't disagree with that perspective at all, but there could be another another perspective that the person could look at. What's that? Maybe this is a way to mentor him to be a better programmer or whatever whatever case it is in any job, you know. Maybe it's a mentor a mentoring opportunity where he can be mentored by people that have more experience than him. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree with that too. And also, if your boss is trying to get rid of you, maybe you should take the hint. No. <laughs> Ouch. I kid. I kid. All right. Well, uh, I do want to thank uh, Ting before we go. And then we have actually one one last thing, just a little uh, pat on the back. We'll see. We'll see how this all turns out. But here's how you get started. Go over to coderadio.ting.com. Ting is mobile. It makes sense. My mobile service provider. Here's a couple of things. And when they say no BS, they really mean it. No contracts. No early termination fees. And the big one, ladies and gentlemen, get ready for it. It even deserves its own ding. You only pay for what you use. That's right. You only pay for what you use over at Ting.com. So go get started by going to coderadio.ting.com. That'll take $25 off your first month of service. Or if, you've, or if, you've, if, you, uh, if you don't have a phone yet, you can go over to Ting. It'll take $25 off your first phone. Yeah, that's not bad. Ting's rates are really simple. They take your messages, your minutes, and your megabytes. They break them all out. And whatever bucket you fall into at the end of the month, that's what you end up paying. You can get an idea. Like for me, I'm... I was just I was just talking to my dad over the weekend about how the fact that I never really ever use the phone. It's true, I don't. So I might use about 100 minutes per month and maybe send about 100 text messages a month, but maybe I'll use a gigabyte of data that month. My monthly bill, $36. In fact, usually my bill's around $33, $32 uh, right there. And that's with voicemail, picture, 
video messaging, three-way calling, caller ID, tethering, hotspot, all of that is included with the Ting plan. And on top of that, I also know that if I ever needed to go somewhere else, I wouldn't get stuck in some sort of horrible contract. So that gives me peace of mind. And now that I've been using Ting for about a year, more than, yeah, about a year now, uh, one of the things I really love is their great device selection and their fantastic dashboard. Ting uses the most simple, straightforward way to put to tell you right where you're at without minimizing the amount of control you have. I can still go into into the dashboard. I can set up things like uh, what what uh, alert limits. Perhaps if I had a family member or a business team member who was frequently using tons of data, I could send a little uh, ping to their Ting app. Say, hey, by the way, you're at a gigabyte of data right now. What you doing, cowboy? Simba down now. You can set all those things for the Ting dashboard. You can set things like call forwarding, caller ID options. You can... You can manage where each device is at. You can activate and deactivate a device if you're not going to be using it. So maybe you have a couple of devices for testing of your Android app, and you're not going to use the app for a couple of weeks while you're just beginning to work on it. You don't need to test it. Turn off the device for a little while, and then when you're ready, go back into the Ting dashboard and turn it back on. It's brilliant, and it really is how things should just work when you're using a cell provider. And you'd think, with an amazing web interface like this, that Ting probably doesn't want you to call them. Not the case, my friend. Call them at 1-855-846-4389. That is 1-855-TING-FTW, and a real person will answer the phone and help you. So go to coderadio.ting.com, pop that savings calculator right there, put in your bill from your current cell phone provider and be impressed. And uh, they uh, they are taking folks who use these savings calculator and then tweet out their results. You're getting entered to win a Galaxy S4. So there's a good time to go over to coderadio.ting.com to get started. I tell you what, we have uh, folks in our chat room right now who've switched to Ting and they absolutely love it. So I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. I think Ting is fantastic. And a lot of folks in the Jupiter Broadcasting community do too. So go over to CodaRadio.Ting.com and a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. Bum, 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 bum. Okay, so this might be a little early to call it, guys, but uh, last week we uh, we had a guest on and we talked a lot about Java. And we were kind of, the consensus of the conversation was is that, man, it, it kind of seems like 2014 is going to be a good year for Java, right? And I, I, I think... Mike, that you're pretty comfortable with that statement, right? Yeah, I, I don't see any major hiccups coming. No, no. In fact, I'm looking for it right now. Uh, it, it, it hit the it hit the subreddit this week. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, I know where you're going with this. They say Coda Radio called it. Uh, 2014 will be Java's year. And uh, I'm looking for it right now. Oh, here it is. In-demand dev skills from Stack Overflow. This is according to uh, rewrite.com. Yep. And they say the most in-demand tech skills is Java. That's at least according to statistics from Stack Overflow, where thousands of companies uh, use the website's Career 2.0 search in order to find job applicants with specific developer skills each year. 2013, Java took the lead as the most frequent searched skilled word, and it continues to be so. Holy, holy crap. In fact, they have a really cool graphic. If uh, you're watching the video version, I'll pull it up here for you. And if you look at this, Java is like way ahead. It's roughly 22%. Yeah, Yeah. PHP at 11 C sharp at ten, Android development at nine point nine, JS at nine point. Where's uh? Oh boy, iOS seven point five. Oh boy, Pi- boy, you're getting your butt kicked by Rails and Python, Mike. <laughs> I've been bitten by the snake. Damn it! <laughs> Inappropriate. Uh, and then uh, C plus plus at the bottom of the list. Wait, where's Mac? Huh? Guy? Oh. I guess. Hmm. I That's guess maybe not. it's included in iOS. Well, probably not. <laughs> uh. So the. I mean, I don't know why this is surprising, right? Java has the advantage of running on a lot of stuff, being super stable, um, and not requiring psychotic licensing fees. Yeah, so, you know why, though. Because all of the anti-Java rhetoric that goes on on the yeah. web constantly. Everybody hates Java. What's really surprising me is actually how low .NET is. Yes. Yeah, Although I, I think .NET has the problem of C Sharp and .NET being split out. Oh, did they do that? Yeah, they yes. did. Yeah, eh, that's a little funky. That's a little funky to me because I, I guess you could be doing C Sharp on another platform like Xamarin, but I mean, let's be honest. Not, I, I, I think if we merged C Sharp and .NET, it would be number two. Yeah, well, yeah, that, yeah I agree. I, yeah, because C Sharp has ten has ten percent of the searches right now by itself, and then .NET has seven percent. So that yeah. put it that put it at least probably at eighteen percent when you when you add the yeah. the little the extra fudge there. 
Which let's just, I mean, let's take our little edit to this list. Um, that put it right under Java, yeah. That would make a lot of sense just because of what's deployed, right? I mean, most engineers are maintenance engineers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. boy, that's very true too. You you can almost just figure it that way. I mean, this to me, this is kind of a no brainer. The only thing I would really challenge is again the splitting out of C sharp and Java. Um, you know, Rails is I. Anybody who thought Rails was going to be in the top three was kidding themselves. It's kind of not. It's new, right? I mean, Java and .NET have been around forever. There's tons of stuff deployed in it. Yeah, I, I also, I although uh, you know, I think there's another way you could look at this. So uh, Python sitting at eight point three percent. Yeah, I, I think anybody who I, we get a lot of people to say, well, Python's a great language to start on, and. I don't know. I mean, this is a nice middle spot. I'm looking at Python. It looks yeah, comfortable and secure. And if you got into Python years ago, you're still getting work doing Python. Yeah, I don't like that weird undertone of Python being like a training language. It's not. It is a full-fledged language that you can deploy serious code Sure. Um, in fact, I've used many a service that's powered by Python. I've worked with Python developers. There's nothing newbie about Python at all. The only thing I would say is I'm a little shocked that JavaScript is so low. I mean, I thought JavaScript would be top three for sure, given Node and given, um, uh, you know, just all, yeah, everything how, how, else. How is that? I mean, if you just look at sheer amount of JavaScript on the yeah. web, right? I guess, but these are job searches, so... People are probably searching for a lot of maintenance. I mean, look at PHP. Coming in at number two or number three, depending on how you count. Saying PHP is so screwed up that needs a lot of maintenance. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying that there's a ton of PHP deployed already. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure where you're going with that. It's like, is that a subtle PHP bash? <laughs> you, you know, uh, my uh, unproven survey says it takes three PHP engineers to uh, maintain a PHP app. Wow, that's where it takes one Java. I don't know about that. That's not true at all. I'm actually also a little surprised. I guess you can't have everything on the top, but um, uh, Android. I mean, there's so many Android apps now. So many. I guess I, I there's so many iOS apps too, and they're both. There's the other thing though. If you break Android and Java apart, that's a little weird too, right? Because the, the issue I have with this is they're they're counting languages and platforms separately. Hmm. I wonder too. Uh, I wonder too if you know if um, independent developers who maybe don't, you know, who don't, you know, so people who so I, I guess what I'm conf- I, one of the things I'm conflating here is the amount of things deployed in that language versus the amount of jobs available. So like I was, I was lamenting that Android was a little low, but then again, if maybe twenty percent of the people or thirty percent of the people who submit apps to the Android App Store are independent developers, then people wouldn't be searching for those jobs. So right, I would also keep in mind that you know we've talked about the dark matter developer before. These are our twenty percent Java people, right? Right. I mean, the guys you hear about, the guys who make videos and do keynotes are on the... But still, I mean, an impressive showing for our, our Ruby hipsters, right? Mm-hmm. 8.2%. Mm-hmm. Um, snake people, 83 I mean, not bad. Just, at the end of the day, it's still the enterprise developer who's, who's the more common. Yeah. Speaking of the more common developer, I have a handy tool I'm going to uh, link. I'm putting it in the show notes right now. Uh, this week's handy tool is called TLDR, TLDR Legal, and uh, you can go to tldrlegal.com. And uh, so one of the things that you've kind of expressed frustration with is sometimes the incompatibilities of different open source licenses. So mm-hmm. what this lets you do is you it has – now this is in beta, I should disclaim. But let's say you take uh, the GPL version 3 and you compare it with the BSD2 license, right? And then you say combine, and it will spit out all of the areas they are compatible, the areas they are incompatible, and the requirements when you boil the two licenses down of what you must do. For example, if you ship a project that has a mix of GPL and BSD2 code, you must include the original code, state changes, disclose source, include copyright. You cannot sublicense or hold liable because it's GPL3. You can commercially use, you can modify, you can distribute, and you can warrant. It's kind of interesting, right? So this is obviously prone to some error, but it allows you to search for licenses. And so if you're working on an open source project and you've got it and it's got software that has different licenses applied to it, you can run them through this TLDR, TLDR legal God, I've never had to say that out loud. And yeah. uh, it will spit out at least a good guide for you to follow where you can dig in a little deeper. And it, I think it, you can break it out. Yeah, it'll give you more information when you break these things out too. So that's kind of handy. 
That's uh, nice. Yeah. There you go. There you go. If you're if you're in the open source jungle and you run into some potential license conflicts, that might just be- use BSD three and Apache two. Well, see, the problem could be maybe you inherit a project where it already is yeah. licensed, right? So. Yeah. No, I. Uh... Actually, yeah, the licensing thing has come up a few times. It's a pain in the ass. All right, Mr. Dominic. Well, uh, as we uh, get ready to run here, I want to um, let folks know that we love getting your feedback. We love working that into the show. So you can email us. Just send an email to coderadio at jupiterbroadcasting.com or even better, be a pro user. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com and pop that contact link. Choose Coder Radio from the dropdown or start a thread in our subreddit, coderadio.reddit.com. The community can uh, jump in there and we go in there throughout the weekend check it out as well. You can also watch us live on Mondays over jblive.tv, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, or jblive.info for the audio stream. Whoa, hi there. All right, Mr. Dominic, where should people find you throughout the week? mdominic.com. Okay, good. That's good. Or dominicm.com, whatever it is. We'll send people there. I think he's on the phone. This happens. We had a little thing we had to go to. What? What? We're good. All right. Where do you want people to go throughout the week? Dominicm.com is fine. That's what I guessed. All right. We'll also have links to our social profiles in the show notes. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of Coda Radio. See you right back here next week. Mm-hmm.